Prepare and deploy dependent disciples. That's what we're about. Um, part of that preparing and deploying dependent disciples is uh, helping develop the next generation of people. One of the blessings about being uh, here for so long, 32 years in longevity in ministry, is you get to see young people, men and young men and young women who've grown up in this church, grow in their faith, become solid uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, and use their gifts and their passions to, uh, to serve the Lord, either vocationally or, or non-vocationally. Uh, one of those young people who has been a part of our congregation ever since he was in his mother's womb uh, 26, seven years ago is Caleb Pearson. Caleb grew up in the church here, and um, after graduating from college, he came back in 2018, participated in our mentorship program, uh, something we have here to help uh, develop young people in their... Uh, interest and in their walk with the Lord, and uh, then came on staff. And last year, when our youth pastor, Dennis McNutt, uh, became the pastor at our church plant down in Woodstock, uh, we invited Caleb to be our director of student ministries here. And uh, he also directs the ministry with um, young adults called Keystone. So we keep him really busy, but uh, it is a privilege to, to have people like Caleb and his wife, Hannah, and they're celebrating their first anniversary this month. And so uh, they're very engaged in the life of, uh, of the church here. And uh, I've invited Caleb to um, come to the pulpit uh, this morning and share from God's Word. Um, so he's going to do that. I'm going to pray. We're going to watch the uh, Jesus Storybook uh, Bible. And then uh, Caleb will come and open up God's Word. So would you bow your head, please, in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have right now to um, come into your presence again uh, through the teaching of your word. And I would ask, Lord, that um, people won't hear Caleb, but they'll hear from you. Open our hearts, Father, to receive what you have for us. Stir us, Father, to help in, encounter you more intentionally, more intensely, and to be changed by you. So I pray that you'll just use Caleb as your servant today. Um, thank you for your word that uh, you give us because of your great love and grace. You've, you have revealed yourself to us. And I pray again this morning that that'll uh, continue in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Father, for allowing us this time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Captain of the Storm The sun was going down. The air was warm and still. Let's go across the lake, Jesus said to his friends. Jesus had been helping people all day, and now he was tired. So they left the crowds at the shore and set out in a small fishing boat. Jesus climbed into the boat to take a nap. As soon as his head touched the pillow, he fell fast asleep. It was a beautiful evening. A gentle breeze rustled the sails. The friends were chatting happily as they headed out into the middle of the lake. Everything was perfect, just right for a nice, 
quiet sail. They were only about halfway across when out of nowhere whirling winds swept across the lake, fierce and strong like a hurricane. A blinding flash of lightning lit up the sky, thunder roared right overhead, the storm blew the water into towering waves that hurled the little boat up, 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 and then sent it hurtling, crashing back down, down, down. The fishing boat was blown and buffeted and tossed and turned back and forth, up and down, left and right, round and round. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Now, Jesus' friends had been fishermen all their lives, but in all their years, fishing on this lake, they had never once seen a storm like this one. No matter how hard they struggled with their ropes and sails, they couldn't control their boat. This storm was too big for them. But the storm wasn't too big for Jesus. Help! they screamed. Wake up! Quick, Jesus! Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us! Save us! they shrieked. Don't you care? Of course Jesus cared. And this was the very reason he had come, to rescue them and to save them. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. That's all. And the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. Well, they had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and they did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped, the water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. Why were you scared? he asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet, as quiet as the wind and the waves, and into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this? they asked themselves anxiously. Even the winds and the waves obey him, they said, because they didn't understand. They didn't realize yet that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus' friends had been so afraid they had only seen the big waves. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, then they had nothing to be afraid of, no matter how small their boat or how big the storm. Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Greeting as well to those uh, joining us online and down in our F3 service. Uh, we here at FBC are embarking on a sermon series where every story whispers his name, which can be so beneficial to understand because I think so often our circumstances are, are shouting. Uh, I think they can shout at us from all sorts of directions. They can cause us to shout things or shout for things in an effort to find some sort of resolution, some sort of peace, some sort of calm. And all too easily, sitting down on a Sunday morning remains a, a moment, uh, but the movement of our lives looks very different. And so it's because of that 
that I want to start off with a question for you this morning. And that question is, what does it look like to encounter God? What does it look like to encounter God? I mean, seriously, it could benefit us uh, to, to understand His presence and His activity in our daily lives. It could be so helpful to understand how He moves and operates. It could be life-changing to not just see God as this, this crowd gatherer, but as a personal provider. And it could benefit us all the more to experience Him in the context of our struggles so that our ability and desire to think spiritually about those struggles impacts our response to them. What does it look like to encounter God? Four years ago, uh, I took on perhaps one of the most invigorating service opportunities here at Fellowship Bible Church, that of leading a seventh grade boys small group, uh, or as as I initially called it, uh, proof that humans for sure need Jesus. Uh, Good night. Uh, Middle school, perhaps you remember what that was like. Uh, And I got to develop a relationship and routine with these boys. We launched our first ever Bible study called Jesus Encounters, where we'd read a Bible story about this guy, Jesus, and his three years in ministry. And I'd go to the whiteboard and I'd have them fill in all the details of this passage. Who encountered him? How did they react? What what was the setting like? All the way to what seemingly mattered most to Jesus in this story. And what was the response to his words, his actions? We as a congregation are going to be encountering Jesus today uh, by reading from the end of the the gospel, Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to Mark chapter 4. And as we think uh, on that question, what does it look like to encounter God, as we seek to think spiritually about our lives and God in them, it is so important to start scripturally. God has granted us access to Himself how His Spirit moves and how He operates. And we can understand that by raising the value of His words in our world. Hopefully we can leave here today with with a greater appreciation for these pages with their application in mind. So uh, Mark chapter 4, the end of the chapter, describing an encounter involving Jesus' disciples and Himself. uh, Verse 35, Mark writes this, On that day when evening came, He said to them, Let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up, verse 39, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they became very much afraid. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea 
obey him. We're going to see uh, today that this story, this passage, produces three results, three reminders, and three remedies. Uh, your sermon notes uh, reflect this, especially if you're using the online version, but it's three results of life with Christ, three reminders about our circumstances, and three remedies for rough waters. Results, reminders, and remedies. So what are the results of life with Christ? In fact, why in the world would we begin with results? That doesn't make a ton of sense, that, that we can begin to understand a forever dynamic between us and God. Well, when we dive into this passage and its context, we find out exactly what God working actually means for us. So the first result, Jesus owns our now and our next. Jesus owns our now and our next. Doing life with, with Jesus means we are no longer placing God in our story. He's placing us in His. Just look at uh, verse 35 again through the beginning of 38. On that day, when evening came, He said to them, let's go over to the other side. And after dismissing the crowd, they took Him along with them in the boat, just as He was, and other boats were with them. And a fierce gale of wind developed. The waves break over the boat so much that it fills with water. And yet, Jesus himself was in the stern. So we look at this passage, and the Bible does a good job of begging the question, well, what just happened before this? As Mark's account describes, what was it about that day that we see at the beginning of verse 35? We seem to be starting in the middle of something here this morning. You see, this passage, Mark chapter 4, is part of a much larger story of Christ's authoritative movement in Mark's eyes. For instance, Mark chapter 1, Jesus demonstrates power over demons. Chapter 2, Jesus demonstrates power over sickness. Chapter 3, Jesus demonstrates power over religious leaders of the day. It almost makes you wonder what, what chapter you demonstrates about Jesus. But all this brings me to chapter 4, our immediate context. Jesus has just finished another public session of parables, specifically to the point where the crowd reaches the limit of their own understanding, according to Mark 4.33. And it was a close relationship with Jesus that allowed for further understanding, for, for the story to continue, which is all good and great. And that story does continue in mighty ways, but our passage this morning is about that transition. So when I say Jesus owns our now and our next, we can see this example, one of many, that his authoritative movement is unfolding. He owns the scene, the setting, the cast and crew. And that crew, these disciples, these fishermen, they were no strangers to the seas. They were no strangers to the idea of a storm coming upon them. And upon Jesus' suggestion to transition across the sea, it says, they take him which can all too easily suggest that they're in control. Yeah, th this will be fine. We've done it many a times. We've seen a thing or two. We know how to handle the sea. But shortly thereafter, a great storm arrives, an adjective-ridden encounter, according to Mark's account, with a storm well beyond the disciples' control. Just look at verse 37 and 38 again. And a fierce gale of wind developed. The waves are breaking over the boat. 
so much that the boat was already filling with water. Yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So the storm has arrived. Life has hit hard. Yet Jesus, perhaps one of the most encouraging phrases in the whole Bible, some of your translations probably say, but Jesus. You see, we have two options every time. We can focus on how much bigger the storm is than us, or we can focus on how much bigger God is than the storm. And what we choose to dwell on is a big deal. The disciples are going to learn this as we unpack the passage a little more, but we already see that Jesus is a lot more than cargo. He's captain. What is a a second result of life with Christ then? Clearly, a a result with Jesus is, is not a perfect life without struggles or trials or storms. So what what gives? What does it look like to encounter God? The second result of life with Christ is that we realize Jesus understands the nature of our need. Jesus understands the nature of our need. Uh, Look again at verse 39. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. Imagine what it was like to actually watch that. You won't have to imagine for long. We're going to read about what it was like to watch that. But clearly, encountering God has a lot to do with experiential knowledge. This is not the type of of head knowledge you, you vaguely recall from visiting your grandmother's church twice a year. It's raw. It's relational. Jesus demonstrates that he understands his people, the storm, and the implications of their belief. A result of life with Christ is the reality of and reliance on that truth. And I suppose that's the point because we do not fully understand. We cannot fully understand. But the tendency we have to let whatever we can grasp of the storm determine what we think about God instead of the other way around? It's no wonder we wrestle with encountering God when we are too easily committed to navigating the waters without Him. Clearly, He's capable. It's interesting to note that not only do the adjectives and focus on the storm stop, when Jesus is awoken and when Jesus comes to mind. But the storm comes to an absolute halt, perfectly calm. Some of your translations say, a great calm. There is action when we go to God. Because it's not just Christ as captain, but Christ as companion as well. So my parents... Uh, have been involved in FBC youth ministry for as long as I've been alive. Uh, and, and as Barry and Susan embarked on this journey, uh, I saw a trend happening in my home. Every so often, our, our front door would swing wide open, 
And young women from youth ministry would come in and just uh, immediately make themselves at home. Uh, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? So what's the scene? What's the setting, right? Little Caleb is, is there at the kitchen table pre- pretending to do his homeschool math, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. Carry the one. Mom seems distracted. This is awesome. And a conversation would begin to unfold in the other room between my mom and these girls to the point where I was intrigued. So I get up from the kitchen table, I grab my uh, cup of cinnamon toast crunch, right, dry cereal, homeschool breakfast of champions, and I peer around the wall to figure out what in the world's going on. And I begin to notice something. Uh, Amidst all the, the mumbling and girl talk flying way over my head, my mother would say the same thing every time. I mean, regardless of which girl it was, uh, regardless of it being tears of joy or or tears of mourning, regardless of the spiritual temperature of the room, I would hear my mother say, thank you so much for coming to me with this. Have you gone to God with it yet? Every time. And if the answer was no, I mean, come on, this just happened. Okay, well, let's go to him together in prayer right now. And if the answer was, yes, Suze, of course I've gone to God. Okay, awesome. Let's go to him together again right now in prayer. And little Caleb started to see a pattern, not just one of uh, effective youth discipleship, but a pattern of crisis leading to Christ. It got to the point where the days would go by and the door would come swinging and I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, we're closed, right? And of course we weren't. And I just think, all right, we're going to see if she went to God with it. And in good parenting fashion, I'd get sent to my room if I tried to listen uh, any further. Go to God with it. Why? Because he understands the nature of our need. He's not just captain, he's companion. The disciples in the throes of storm struggling with each other do end up going to the right person, but with a poor understanding of his ability and who he ultimately is. There's a third result of life with Christ, and that is that Jesus involves his name in our nonsense. Jesus involves his name in our nonsense. Well, hang on, why is that important? Well, who is he? Why would his name benefit? Well, at the very least, he's a storm stopper, we see. But at the most, though, read Mark 4, 40 through 41 again. And he said to them, after all is said and done with the storm, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they then became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, what have the disciples already learned about this guy? Well, they've seen a lot per, per Mark's earlier accounts, but this passage proves that they're getting hip with the notion that he's probably a lot more than a rabbi or a teacher. Because what we see here is interesting. There is a second rebuke. Jesus rebukes the storm. Then he questions his passengers. Where's your faith? 
not only is there a second rebuke, but fear is increased, not removed. And you think, what? A God to fear? A God worth, worth trembling about? They pivot to each other, these disciples. Who even is this guy? Jesus had and has an innate ability to instill healthy fear. A few years ago, my family and I were on our Thanksgiving beach trip, and I'm uh, throwing football with one of my favorite people on the planet, uh, my little cousin, Carter Pearson. So what's the scene? What's the setting? Well, we're throwing football in a North Carolina public access beach parking lot while my dad's Googling how to get a fishing license over the phone, whatever. The adults are figuring it out, but Carter and I, we're killing time, okay? Throwing football, having a blast. And a few throws in, uh, Carter misses the football and it goes just clear into the street. And like any six-year-old at the time would, he takes off after it. So I become immediately aware of the full extent of something that he has no clue about. Namely, the, the busy oncoming uh, traffic, cars, trucks, boats, you name it. So I'm saying, Carter, stop. Carter, stop. There are cars. Carter. Carter James, stop. And he stops. And not only does he stop, but, but he sprints back into my arms, and he's shaking like a leaf. He got much closer to that road than either of us intended him to. And so I'm holding him and I said, I, I know, buddy, I know, I'm so sorry. That was super scary. And he said, still shaking, looked up at me and said, no, you scared me. You've never used my name like that before. And in that moment, I learned what it was like for a child to have a healthy fear of something he was running towards. Parents, hopefully you're hearing this. First of all, I pulled the middle name card as a cousin, by the way. Bold move. But I needed him back. And he realized that truth. He responded. It was a healthy fear of authority. Jesus craves our return to his arms. And not only that, but Jesus can pivot our awestruck wonder of, of the woes of life into our awestruck wonder of who He is. He's not just captain and companion, and if you happen to stumble across Him in the boat ride of life, good for you. No, He's, he's captain, companion, and can be called upon, Christ as called upon. So, this life with Christ, according to Mark chapter 4. Well, we have this guy who owns our now and our next. He's in charge. We have this guy who understands the nature of our needs, super compatible. And we have this guy who involves his name in our nonsense. Three reminders, then, for our circumstances. The first reminder, we are experts on sinful responses. <laughs> We are experts on sinful responses. Life on life these days tends to mean rough on rough. And in response, we so easily make sin the remedy for struggle. 
Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What have the disciples proven in this passage and over and over in the passages prior? Well, in this one, a fearful response, while productive in leading to the right questions, is actually based on a lack of understanding of who God is and of the things in which He is capable. Not understanding who God is is scarier than any storm. Look at verse 41. They became very much afraid. Some of your translations say, a great fear, and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus asks, where is your faith? And the disciples ask, who even are you? It makes you wonder, who is he? This guy, as I've referred to him thus far, this morning. What might it look like to encounter the God of the universe? Second reminder for our circumstances. We are not immune to storms and serpents. We are not immune to storms and serpents. Listen, this book, this collection of books, is full of examples to remind us not if we encounter struggles, but when. And our reaction to these things, these storms, That reaction reveals our priorities, the focus of our heart. It reveals it to God and to the people around us. So go to God with it. Let your kids, our students, let them see and hear that you go to God with it. React with God in mind and respond accordingly. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, to even consider it joy when you encounter trials. And the author unpacks this idea that it's because that is when faith takes focus. The last reminder, we need rescue. <laughs> now, ideally, you saw that coming. We are, we are well equipped in sin The world is discipling us in sin faster than we can say, yes, please. And not only that, but but we know storms are coming. Perhaps you've heard that quote before, there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne, and he was Batman, by the way. Even Batman earned a storm or three. We need rescue, all of us. This life-on-life ministry that thrives here at Fellowship Bible Church means life jackets matter. What do you cling to? What are your coping mechanisms? Is your life such that that God is a last response and and not a first resort? With those reminders in view... What are the three remedies then for rough waters? The first remedy is Jesus, the ultimate expert on sin and destruction, but also salvation and deliverance. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's way more than just this guy, this sleeping teacher. He's the God. 
capable of salvation and deliverance. Salvation and deliverance from both hell and hellish things. But more on that in a minute. The second remedy is Jesus, the perfect example of how to handle life's struggles. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 calls us to therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved. And he gave himself up for us and and Paul calls it a fragrant aroma. That Ephesians 5 passage puts everything in perspective to remind us that even our problems, even our storms, they are not an excuse to stop loving each other and stop loving people. The third remedy is Jesus, the rescue we need, the life jacket of all life jackets. He's Lord and Savior. He's rescue. He's Savior and Son of God. Now, wait a second. Let's talk about it then. Some of you might be saying, okay, that's, that's a little cheesy, a little bit redundant. Uh, did he just make a, a room full of adults, uh, those that are using the notes especially, write down Jesus' name three times? Clearly, this guy's in youth ministry. You don't need to resort to the simple Sunday school truth that Jesus is the answer over and over and over. Deal with it! Does the remedy really change when we go from having a third grade bully to a mortgage payment we can't make? Does the remedy really change when we go from not being invited to a sleepover to finding out our spouse doesn't want to share a room with us anymore? Does the remedy really change when when our kids, our students, go from lying to you about their homework to finding their truth over social media? Does the remedy really change when you go from discerning what friend group, what community group to join, all the way to believing the lie that you don't belong? Does the remedy really change when conflict within the home graduates into conflict between you and other people in God's church. I assure you, our our students are being reminded the remedy does not change. The source of peace and clarity, the answer. Are you being reminded? Are we reminding each other? My seventh grade boys small group, they are now 10th grade man children who could take me down in one fell swoop if they wanted. Many of them do. But the culture God has created in our small group where Kaplan is coming back after a long week and he says, guys, I had another Jesus encounter last week. Awesome. Let's hear about it. Let it be an encouragement. Lord knows we could use it. If every story is whispering his name, the church ought to be talking. We need Jesus. But who is he? What are our encounters with him? Well, be it rescue or reminder 
To encounter God is to experience the living and loving work of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's always been about Him. Sixty-six books in this thing all point to Him. And guess what? He made it about you. We live in a broken world, (laughs) separated from God in need of salvation. This guy these disciples were traveling with, he went on to take on sin and its consequence. Christ died and rose again, conquering death for all who believe that we as sinners, that we may be brought to light. Now, if you don't believe me on that front, keep reading, okay? I'm not the one you're supposed to believe. But I am here this morning to tell you that God did not save you by accident. And Jesus, He didn't just die for the you sitting in church with your Sunday best on. He didn't just die for the you that that performs perfectly or at least strives to do so. He didn't just die for the you that that wanders your way through life, bouncing from one task to the next. He died for the you laying awake at night, wondering how in the world it's all going to come together. The you searching for answers. He died for the you locked in the bathroom, tears streaming down your face because maybe, just maybe, experiencing a hurt that big was meant to point to a hope even bigger. He died for the you that strays from his path in an effort to prove to you how much he loves you. He didn't die for a version of you. He died for you. Believing that, finding your identity in Christ as a new creation isn't about putting on the right mask. It's about taking one off. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to put your faith in Jesus as your ultimate rescue. There's another book in this Bible, the Gospel book of John, and it uses the word believe 98 times in the original Greek to prove a simple point. The deed is done. Whosoever believes in him, believes in him, believes in him. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to say a prayer. Go to God with it. Go to God with it all and believe. You are one decision away from instilling hope in every other decision you have to make. Because he's so much more than a life jacket Jesus. He's the calm in the chaos. The captain of the storm. And guess what, believers? The same goes for us. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, is a foundational example of experiential knowledge. Who is he? that even the wind and the waves obey him. What are our Jesus encounters? Be awestruck 
Behold our God. Because we could talk until the sun goes down about encountering sin and despair in our lives. If you want to leave here with something else today, flip the script. How have you seen God? Are we too quick to interact only over what's wrong? Leaving what's right by the wayside? We have a living hope, an active God. How have you seen Him lately? What if the encouragement your heart needs is sitting in the story of the person right next to you, right now? How have you seen Him lately? What would it look like for for us as a church to get to the point where we're saying, man, this, this Jesus guy and I, we've been through it. He's pulled me through it. As we leave the crowd today, be the boat that travels with Jesus. My prayer for our local body, for God's church, is is for us to, to shy away from, dear God, what now? To, okay, God, what's next? How do we do that? Well, we know God. And we instill hope. And we instill hope so that when the world asks, do you have any idea how bad things are? We say, yeah, but do you have any idea who I'm traveling with? We encounter God when we realize crazy times are no match for Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much uh, for giving us uh, an avenue to you through your son Jesus. Thank you for giving us uh, this building to gather in the General Assembly. And I, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have here shortly to respond in worship. God, I pray that you would continually move through our hearts, that you would raise the value of your words in our world. God, we long for a church culture where your scripture drowns out lies and not the other way around. As we leave here this morning, I pray that this Sunday moment turns into a steady movement where you are glorified. I lift all this up in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.